All right, good morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead, open it up to John chapter 9. John 9, we are almost halfway through, uh, spending this year together studying on Sunday mornings the gospel according to John. And this morning, we're going to be looking at what, for some of us, is maybe a well-known story, an incredible story uh, that we hope and pray God will use to reveal his amazing grace to us in Jesus Christ. So John chapter 9, if you have your Bibles open, we'll be reading the entire chapter. John writes, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. So his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the lights of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still didn't believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked, is this the one who you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know that he's our son, the parents answered. And, how he was, and he was, we know he was born blind, but how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man's a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. 
Then they asked him, what, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him, said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he had found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees were with him, heard him saying this, and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Uh, the Gospel of John opens with some of the most hopeful words that have ever been written. God became flesh and dwelled among us. Out of his unbelievable love, God the Son becomes man in Jesus Christ for this reason, to rescue us from our spiritual darkness and to restore us to the life with God that we were created for. But here's the important question. How will anybody see him? God has come to save humanity, get this, as a first century small town mechanic. How will anybody recognize him? How will anybody believe him? How will anybody see this good news of Jesus Christ? Um, do you know what prosopragnosia is? Probably not. I just learned about it this last week. It is a neurological disorder where you can't, you have trouble recognizing people's faces. All right, it's what doctors, just kind of for layman's terms, called face blindness. Here's what one uh, woman, she's a reporter covering politics. This is how she described her experience of it. Uh, she said, I was covering politics. I work in the same place every day, seeing the same politicians and their same staff every day, and yet when one of them came up to ask me a question, I had no clue who they were. Can you imagine that? Someone walking up to you who you should recognize, and yet you have no clue who they are. Well, if anybody should be able to recognize Jesus Christ, it's the Pharisees. And over the last few chapters, Jesus uh, has been giving them some hints, some help, of how it is that they can see and believe in him. He says if they listen to the Old Testament, chapter 5. 
If they listen to God the Father, chapter 6. If they keep God's word, chapter 7. If they keep Jesus' word, chapter 8. Jesus is saying, uh, I'll, I'll give you a tip here. These are all the ways that you can see and believe in me that I am the long-promised one comes so that you don't have to walk in darkness, but now in the light. And as chapter 8 ends, it says they picked up stones to kill him. There you have it. The best and the brightest of God's people. The most religiously minded, spiritually inclined lot that's ever existed, and even they can't see Jesus. And if that's the case, how will anyone see him? How will we see him? Because the Bible says that on our own, we all suffer from a similar spiritual blindness. On our own, we are all walking in darkness, living lives that we think will lead to greater personal, emotional, spiritual fulfillment, but only lead to death. That we are actually no different than the Pharisees Jesus has been talking to. On our own, though we should be able to recognize him, we are just as blind to who Jesus is. In order to see him and to benefit from what God is doing through him, we need a light bright enough to pierce through our spiritual darkness and give us sight to see and believe what God is doing in Jesus Christ. And in this passage, Jesus says, I am that light. I am the light of the world. And so we can see in Jesus' interaction with this man how it is that we can see and believe in Jesus. Three things. We encounter his light, we respond to his light, and we recognize our need for his light. So first, we encounter Jesus' light. Uh, if you have ever studied journalism, writing, public speaking, any sort of communication, one of the golden rules is don't bury the lead. Right? Don't uh, leave people guessing till the very end of your article what you've been trying to say the entire time. And in Jesus' encounter with this man born blind, he states the lead for us at the very beginning of everything he does. Jesus and his disciples come across this man who's been blind since birth, who to his disciples is just a prop in some theological conversation that they're having. But Jesus says, no, no, this man is here to become an object of divine mercy. And then he states the lead to help us understand everything he's about to do. He says, this man is here, verse 4, so that I can show you all that I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus has already said this once before. We looked at it last week, if you were here. Uh, in the story just before this, Jesus tells a crowd in, in chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now there, Jesus was referring back to the Exodus story. And he's saying, I am the light. I am the flaming torch that led the Israelites out of Egypt and into freedom. But this week, here, 
Jesus this morning is referring to the exile story. When God's people had rebelled against him, so much so that they eventually become spiritually blinded until someone would come who would restore their sight so they could see and believe in God again. In other words, last week, Jesus was saying, if you want the life with God that you were created for, you need liberation. You need a personal exodus story from your sin. Today, he's saying, if you want that life with God you were meant for, you need illumination. You need to be given sight in order to see where your sin has spiritually blinded you. And having stated the meaning, we now see the miracle in Jesus' encounter with this man. After Jesus had said this in verse 6, John writes, Jesus spat on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Now Jesus is doing three very profound things here. First, he is touching this man where he is most shamed. Now, you have to understand, uh, as a blind man growing up in first century Palestine, he would be uneducated, uh, unable to support himself financially, relegated to a life of begging, dependency, fear. His eyes were his greatest source of disgrace, and that is where Jesus decides to show his power. The parts of you that you are most repulsed by are the parts of you that Jesus is most drawn to, where he most wants to shine in you his light, the light of the world, the brightest. Second, though, Jesus is revealing this man's true need. Jesus is acting out here a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, in Isaiah 6, in the Old Testament, God sends the prophet Isaiah uh, to God's people who have been rebelling against him over and over and over again. And God tells them that now, as punishment, as judgment for that, God is going to close their eyes, that he is going to spiritually blind them for refusing to believe in God and his salvation. And the way that you could most woodenly translate the Hebrew word in Isaiah 6 that God uses there is that he is going to plaster over their eyes. And here in John 9, Jesus comes to this man born physically blind, spits on the ground, makes some mud, and plasters over his eyes as if to say, your true need isn't your physical blindness, but your spiritual blindness. That through the sin of Adam, now transferred to every person that's ever lived, the moment we take our first breath of oxygen in this world, we are coming into it spiritually blind, just like this man. Unable on our own to believe and see God and therefore unable to live the life with him that we were meant to live. Thirdly, though, Jesus reveals his true intention. This man goes and washes his eyes, verse 7, like Jesus told him to do, and immediately, immediately, he can see. And as incredible as this is, Jesus is telling him, oh no, this is just the beginning. I have so much more for you that I'm about to do. 
You see, after God spiritually blinds his people in Isaiah 6, as judgment for their sin, he promises later in Isaiah chapter 42 that he will send someone, the Messiah, who will open the eyes of those who have been blinded by sin, who will rescue us from our spiritual darkness and restore us to the life we were created to live by opening the spiritual eyes, not just of God's people, but of all nations to see and believe God. But just like any uh, good job description you might write today, when you write it, uh, you don't know yet who is going to fill that position. It's a mystery. The same is true here in Isaiah 42. Only God at this point knows who's going to fulfill this job description. But when Jesus tells this man to go to the pool called Sent, it's as if he's jumping up and down, saying, It's me! Ding, 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 it's me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the sent one. And the level of restoration you're about to experience physically, I'm going to give to you spiritually. So how can anybody see Jesus? First, we encounter his light. Second, we respond to his light. Uh, The most powerful handheld flashlight you can buy in the market right now is rated at 15 million candle power. That means when you flick it on, it is as bright as if you had 15 million lit candles in your hand, right? The the latest iPhone flashlight is rated at eight candle power, just 8.0, that's it, just to give you some sort of comparison here. So imagine for a second, you were in a pitch black room and you turn on that 15 million candle power spotlight the light from that would be so bright that you'd either be able to suddenly see everything you couldn't see before or you'd be completely blinded by it. Jesus' light, the light of the world, works the same way. When we encounter his light, there are only two responses. We are either suddenly able to see everything in him we weren't able to see before or we become blinded by it. Uh, You can see this happening as the Pharisees interrogate this healed man. They think they can see, but actually, as they look into Jesus' light, they're becoming blinded by it. Uh, The Pharisees' whole issue here with Jesus is wrapped up in the Sabbath. The Pharisees lived according to both God's law in the Bible and their own oral tradition Uh, of laws that they had created that they saw as equally binding on somebody. And when they heard in verse 14 that Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath, they immediately discredit Jesus. You see, one of the rules in their oral tradition was that you can't knead, like knead dough, on the Sabbath. They thought it was work. And so when they hear this man describe how Jesus, in their mind, kneaded the saliva into the ground to make mud and put it on his eyes, they say he's a sinner. He's a fraud. This man can't be from God, verse 16. He doesn't even keep the Sabbath. Now, do you see what's happening here? The Pharisees can't see Jesus for who he is because Jesus doesn't match their presuppositions. They had some baseline beliefs based off of their oral tradition 
that couldn't be challenged. And so when they look at Jesus, they say, you must be wrong because I know I'm right. Now, do you understand that we modern people uh, today do the same thing as they, that they did, just in the opposite direction? You see, the Pharisees saw the past as providing the best understanding of life. But we look to the present for the best understanding of life. We look at the past and we say that was regressive, simple-minded thought, that we need, we need to free ourselves from this. We need to enlighten ourselves from it because whatever is newer is better. Now, in one sense, we are in, we are in dangerous territory if we allow history to guide us morally because whatever is newer isn't always better. I mean, you know who thought they were on the right side of history? The Nazis. But at the same time, there are countless ideas in the past that we need to look at as regressive, simple-minded, that should be completely disregarded. I mean, I mean, there were very intellectual, intelligent, cosmopolitan people that not too long ago said that black people were less of a human, less of a homo sapien than white people. Or that women didn't have the intellectual fortitude to vote in a democratic election. Things that no person in their right mind should ever even think about espousing today. But you know what this means? This also means that it's possible that there are things we believe today that a hundred years from now, our grandkids or great-grandkids will look back on in us and say, can you believe they thought that? I mean, how simple-minded and regressive can you be? You see, the question right here is this. What presuppositions, modern presuppositions, do you have that completely discredit Jesus Christ in your mind that a hundred years from now, society might look back on and say, well, that was just silly. Nobody believes that anymore. We all know that's not true. The response that we should have when we encounter Jesus, the light of the world, is to do what the second group of Pharisees did in verse 16. To say that, that Jesus is challenging, that he, he doesn't fit into the world as how they understood it, but maybe part of that be, could be because I've been wrong. Jesus, the light of the world, shines, and we respond two ways. We become blind like the Pharisees, or we start to see like this healed man. Uh, the Pharisees in verse 24 call the man back, and you can see the light of Jesus uh, giving this man spiritual sight to see what God is doing in Christ. Uh, first, you can see it as he becomes more emboldened in his witness. The Pharisees put him under an oath in verse 24. They say, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man's a sinner. He broke our little Sabbath laws. He's a fraud. He's not the Messiah. And the man replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, though, I was blind, now I see. And so the Pharisees keep poking and pushing. How did he do it? Come on, just tell us. How did he do it? How did he do it? And he answered, I've told you already. You're not, you don't want to listen. And then, and then he gets a little confident. You want to hear it again, do you? Maybe you can become his disciples too. He's coming up against more and more resistance and is becoming more and more emboldened in his witness because he's starting to see more and more 
who Jesus is. Until finally in verse 34, he gives up everything for Jesus. The conversation keeps going. The man keeps trying to persuade the Pharisees of what God has done in Jesus for him. Until finally in verse 44, they say, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they throw him out of the synagogue. Now, in that time, getting kicked out, expelled uh, from the synagogue meant you lost everything. It was like losing your job, your driver's license, your credit card, all at once. Uh, your social connections, your financial security, your vocational success, your family respect, all gone in an instant. It was suicide. And yet this man has found something so beautiful in Jesus Christ that he is willing to give up everything if need be just so he can have him. And now what this man's doing here is the opposite of how I think we assume faith works. I think many of us look at the things that he's doing, uh, we, his emboldened witness, his willing to give up everything for Jesus, and uh, we think, I would do that too if I just had more faith. In other words, we think we need to let our faith grow to a certain level, we need to see Jesus with a certain level of clarity, and then we'll start to live out the changed life that this man does. But do you see what's happening here? It's the opposite of that. This man takes some risks. He steps out in some very big ways. He acts, he moves, he gives things up. And as a result of that, starts to see more clearly. Starts to experience his faith grow until it finally blossoms into full maturity in verse 35. He responds with openness and humility and through that, sees Jesus more. So how can we see and believe in Jesus, the light of the world? Well, first, we encounter his light. Second, we respond to his light. Lastly, then, we recognize our need for his light. In verse 35, Jesus hears that this man has just been expelled, kicked out of the synagogue, and he says, I must find him. And when he does, Jesus asks him, do you believe, do you trust in the Son of Man? And the man says, who is he? And Jesus tells him, it is me speaking to you. And in verse 38, the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. In a day, this man goes from being physically blind to physically seeing, and now from being spiritually blind to spiritually seeing. That Jesus is the promised one. That he is the Messiah who's come to rescue him from his spiritual darkness and restore him to the life with God he was meant to have. And then Jesus gives this explanation. Jesus kind of goes back to it and says, here's the point of everything I've been trying to say and do this whole time. He says in verse 39, For judgment I have come into the world. So that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Jesus here is drawing everyone's attention back to where the story began. I mean, do you remember how this all started? 
Jesus puts the mud on the man's eyes, acting out how God in Isaiah 6, spiritually blinded, plastered over the eyes of his people as judgment for their sin. And yet God promised that he wouldn't leave his people, he wouldn't leave us that way forever. No, he promises in Isaiah 42 that a servant will come from him, the Messiah who will come with justice and gentleness, strength and compassion, power and tenderness. One who Isaiah 42 says will open eyes that are blind, free captives from prison, and release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And what Jesus is saying here in verse 39 is that I am that promised Messiah. I am doing what only God can do, giving sight to the physically blind as a sign of how I am giving sight to the spiritually blind to see and believe what God is doing in me for you. And how does Isaiah say this servant, this Messiah, will accomplish all this? Well, as you read on, you get not just the description of the Messiah, but the destiny of the Messiah. And as Isaiah writes in chapter 53, this servant, who innocent in every way, will take on the sins of his people, being judged in their place, and die to endure the condemnation their sin deserves. And on the cross, Jesus, the Messiah, enters into that darkness, steps into the shadow of God's judgment, and there, the servant of the Lord, his own son, endures the condemnation we deserve, freeing you and I from the sin that causes our spiritual blindness, so that now, through his death in our place, we can see and believe and experience the joy and the life and the amazing grace that this man has experienced too. Do you get it now? Do you see how we come to believe in Jesus? Jesus gives himself to give you sight. It's the only way it could have happened. That through his crucifixion, Jesus Christ at a measurable cost to himself, has dealt with our sin, the sin that made us blind, and through his Holy Spirit gives us sight to see him, and when we see him like this healed man, we see somebody more beautiful than we ever dreamed possible. What grace, what love, what kindness. But not everybody leaves this story singing, <clears throat> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, I was blind but now I see. No, the Pharisees experience <clears throat> not the joy but the judgment of Jesus' light. They can't see Jesus because as Jesus tells them in verse 40, they refuse to admit they're blind. They're too proud too self-sufficient. They think they don't have any sin blinding them. They don't need the light of Christ, but in reality, 
They are just as blind, Jesus says, to that other man. And he's saying, as long as you Pharisees look at me that way, as long as you come to me with that same pride, that same spiritual self-sufficiency, my light will always keep you blind. Uh, Andrew Del Banco, is a, he's a sociologist, uh, was once doing research on Alcoholics Anonymous, and he was at an AA meeting one Saturday morning in a, in a church basement up in New York City, and uh, he describes how he was listening to this kind of nicely dressed uh, young man who, as he says, was kind of just talking on and on and on uh, about how he is taking control of his life, he's believing in himself. He's toughing it out that he is willing himself out of this addiction and he doesn't need help from anybody else around him. And Del Banco writes that as he watched how incredibly self-sufficient and proud and blind this man truly was, just how far gone he was. Del Banco says he realized that the man was lost, lost in himself, but without even knowing it. The Pharisees were blind, blind in themselves, blind in their pride, in their spiritual self-sufficiency, without even knowing it, blind to the cancerous sin that was eating them from the inside out and completely unaware. Are you? God has come in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. So how can we see him? Admit your blindness. Confess your sin. Recognize your need for Jesus. Don't let yourself succumb to the spiritual pride and self-sufficiency of the Pharisees But come to Jesus, the light of the world, and confess, I'm walking in darkness. I am blind, and I need your light to illumine my heart. And when you do, just like Jesus did for this man, he will love you. He will pursue you. And he will open your spiritual eyes with his light, the light of the world, to see and believe in him, the one who has come to rescue you from your darkness and restore to you your life with God. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in love you sent your Son to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, to be the light of the world. Holy Spirit, as we have heard from Christ himself in God's word, fill us the light of Jesus that we would see and believe and sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I was blind, but now I see. Amen.